Please open in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. As we attempt to understand the purpose, the plan, and the will of God, we realize that God has uh, the wisdom and the knowledge and the authority to establish life and to cause the rise of nations and the fall of nations and the rise of people and the fall of people. God has the authority to speak into your life and mind. And because of this power that God has, he is always moving each and every one of us on the face of the earth in a direction and place where we ought to be. Yet at the same time, we recognize that sometimes the will of God kind of clashes our will. And sometimes our ideas, our purpose, our plan, our desires have a, an authority of their own. And as we think in terms of Ephesians, we recognize the beautiful plan in and through Jesus Christ and the marvelous work of God's grace upon the hearts of humanity brings about the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's the emphasis, and that is established within his church as well. And so as we work through these chapters, I realize the disadvantage we have is we can only take a little bite at a time. We can only take so many scriptures and look at them. And so sometimes by the next week, our minds are like, well, I don't remember what uh, we kind of looked at and what scriptures tie together. But we trust uh, that as God unfolds that, uh, that purpose and plan in our lives, that we might come to humbly uh, value uh, what not only the truth is revealed to us, uh, but that truth that is revealed in us. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse 12 and read through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 22. Remember, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become 
a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come to you to recognize that your purpose and plan is not to simply work in our lives from a distance, but your plan and purpose and your will is to live inside of us. We pray, Lord, that we would recognize not only that that mystery may be extremely difficult to grasp, but when Christ is in us, there lies our hope, there lies our peace, there lies the secret to understanding the true purpose, plan, and will of God. We thank you, Lord, for living and dwelling within us as we believe and trust you. May we not only be cleansed by your presence, but may we be empowered to walk in your purpose, plan, and will. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read verse 12 and uh, verse, uh, or I'm sorry, verse uh, 12 and 19 once again. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Something has taken place between the two verses. Something has happened which has enabled us to move from being a foreigner to a citizen. Something has happened in a powerful way that has enabled us to be outsiders at one point and now insiders, once not believe, belonging to the family of God, but now we are called the children of God. There's something that, well, at one point where we had no promises and no hope and no God in our lives, but something took place, and now God is ours, and he is mine. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Most likely we've all traveled a little bit, whether we went camping or we went sightseeing or visiting some place of your own choice. Whether you went to see some relatives or whether you went to go to Disney World or you simply wanted to go to the beach, we all know that when you travel, there's an extra cost. There are expenses that are not typically part of your lifestyle, but if you want to go somewhere in life, it's going to cost you something extra. You'll probably pay extra tolls on the roads, the motels, the gas prices tend to get higher, and if your car has trouble, well, your local mechanic can't give you a break. When you're on the road, there's all kinds of extra costs and expenses that take place, but when we're on vacation, we are also not only at a disadvantage financially, but you're a tourist. And no matter how well you try to hide it and fit in, everybody knows you don't belong there. Example, you can go to the beach, you can buy the flashy sunglasses to try to cover your identity. You can get a nice bathing suit that makes you look like you really belong on the beach. Every local person knows whether you get the right surfboard or whatever, you don't belong in this territory. I think the fish even know that we don't really live on the beach. 
It's important to understand that the idea that we are visitors, we're aliens, we're foreigners to that particular area. And the expense of the vacation life is sometimes uh, comes not only with financial expenses, but many of us know that if they figure out you're not a local, they may treat you differently, at least until you pull your credit card out or flash some cash. Your reward cards won't get you any points. And if you get pulled over by the police, they love to recognize you're an out-of-stater. There's all kinds of things that come when you're a foreigner or an alien to that territory. We think in terms of that we, we may suppose that uh, uh, when we vacation, consider maybe for a moment that you not simply go to New Jersey, to the beach, or North Carolina, but maybe you go somewhere on foreign territory. In another country, we can take uh, a language, uh, a Spanish uh, and French course, and trust me, I've tried that. It doesn't take long for them to figure out you're an American as a matter of fact, when my ideas just add an O or an A to all the nice words and make them called Spanish, my wife says, you're embarrassing. Everybody knows you're a foreigner. They know that you don't belong in the country regardless of how you try to fit in or try to adapt. Unless you're really, really good, you're a foreigner. They know we're Americans. A foreigner has a language barrier. It also has a cultural barrier. And if by chance someone steals your wallet, you really don't have a whole lot of legal protection overseas. It's important to understand the idea of a foreigner is you have a huge disadvantage. If our identity is stolen overseas, uh, you better hurry to get to the embassy. You need some kind of assistance or some kind of support. If you're falsely accused for stealing someone's bicycle overseas, you better buy them a brand new bike because the authorities aren't going to give you as an American rights. The idea of uh, us at one point in verse 12, remember there was a time in our lives we were separate from all the blessings and benefits of Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Foreigners to all of the promises in God's word in covenant form without hope and without God in the world because we are foreigners spiritually speaking we have no rights we have no privileges and we are legally have no defense attorney to help us in any form or fashion and if you get sick when you travel overseas you certainly will wish you were back on American uh, territory. You may wonder why I say all this. As we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, we must remember that because we are not Jewish by blood, we have nothing until Jesus gives it all. It's important to understand that there's a time in our journey in life there's a place or position in life that prior to the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to my heart and yours, you and I are without hope and without God. Remember, before Jesus came, before we came into a real relationship with Jesus, we were without a Savior. 
We were without forgiveness of sin. We were without promises of God. We were without access to God in prayer. We had no rights. We had no benefits. We had no privileges. We have no advocate and and no helper or mediator in our times of need. No one to defend us. We were hopeless and we were without God. When anyone uh, comes to, to face and we understand the importance at the end of our journey in life. Can you imagine coming to your last days on this earth and you know you don't have a Savior. We are a people without God until Jesus Christ comes. Before Jesus came, a person without God, their eternal destiny was hopeless. There's nothing they could do. It's important to understand in verse 12 as we read it once again, the impact and the magnitude of what it's like to not belong to God. Remember, at that time, you're separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, if we were Jewish, belonging to the nation of Israel and living under the covenant promises, knowing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if we were among the remnant and the chosen ones and a citizen of the land of promise and entitled a glorious eternal inheritance, then the word of God was, in fact, our guarantee we could recognize that the truth of the covenant terms has provided so many blessings and promises in God's word. So it's faith in the God who has given us his word, and he's given us his word in the scriptures. A Jewish person could bank on, this is what God says. Before Jesus came, we can't do that. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, guess what? Verse 19 says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Verse 13 explains that what Christ has done is he has provided the sacrifice of himself, the blood of Jesus Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, You who were once far away, a foreigner, an alien, have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. What I want to consider this morning, uh, within the time we have, is what is this power of the blood of Jesus Christ? We think in terms of the blood of Jesus Christ, and, and what is it that enables that blood to be so powerful and so effective in our lives? Because it's the blood of Jesus Christ that changes everything. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that is a focal point of our faith. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us that confidence, that assurance, that stability, that endurance in life. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon his cross. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We go back to where we kind of began in this whole journey of looking at the beauty of and the blessing of this book. Praise be to God and the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ gives you everything. It's important to recognize that without that blood applied to my heart and yours, we're still without hope and without God. Faith in Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. And that's the underlying message that God's purpose and plan and his will is that not only the good news would sound good, but the good news would transform us. That good news would bring us to a place that we are no longer foreigners. We are no longer aliens. We are family members. We are citizens of the people of God. And that's the message that comes in here. It's because of the blood of Jesus that we are given literally all of these blessings and benefits. According to verse 19, we're no longer foreigners and aliens and citizens. Uh, and that's what we need to try to understand. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Because we need to tie some scriptures together to not only give us a truth that speaks to the mind, but we need the evidence in God's word that what he has given us, it in fact gives us understanding that transforms our lives. It's our faith comes by hearing the word of God. And by hearing that word of God, we trust faith would begin to express itself through everything that you and I cherish. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 is a very powerful and, and precious verse. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. But it's not for you, and it's not for me. It's for the Jewish nation. But now look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Now we recognize... Um, in verses 9 and 10. Let me read that. But you, listen for the common language, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 is yours. It's through Jesus Christ, and Jesus is introduced in this chapter as the stumbling stone, and the stumbling stone becomes the cornerstone. The rejection of one opens wide the blessings of another. That's what Jesus Christ has done uh, through us, uh, for us. And because of him being crucified on the cross, he's rejected. He's the stumbling stone of faith. 
and he's also the cornerstone because it's through his death and his shed blood that you and I become the treasured people. The Jewish people are still God's treasured people, but you and I are included. We are brought into one citizenship and one family. The two have been merged into one, but what's important to know is Apostle Paul says in chapter 2, verse 12 of Ephesians, remember, never forget, there was a time you had nothing, but because of Christ and what he did on that cross and the faith that speaks to our heart, now we have everything. It's important to understand that the formation of a tender heart and the humbleness of who you and I become is to realize God out of a grace, gave it to us all. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't push a few buttons. We didn't pull a few levers. We didn't work our way up into good standing. It's simply given by God's amazing grace. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. It's because of this blood of Jesus Christ. Another mystery that's found in the scriptures is, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And we want to pick up at verse 26 and read through 29. Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29. We not only now are identified as the favor ones of God, And that favor is something that's equivalent to the concept of grace. God has simply poured out his love and his mercy and his grace upon us. And so we are identified as a favored people. And uh, in some sense, grace, uh, we need to recognize that you and I didn't create ourselves and put ourselves in a good place so that grace had to fall upon us. Grace fell upon us, and that puts us in a good place. In other words, we can't take credit for that. We can't say, I decided to do this, and therefore God has blessed me. We simply are keenly aware that grace found a way. Grace has worked its way into my life. He has caused, he has predetermined, he has predestined that you and I would have an awakening taking place in our lives. We can't take credit for it, but certainly we're willing to receive all the benefits and blessings. It's the humble heart that receives that richness in its great fullness, is that we realize we're not, we were once not, but now we are. A second concept, uh, it mentioned about not only are we uh, uh, now citizens of the people of God, but it also says we're members of God's household. In Galatians 3, 26 through 29, it explains that you're all sons of God through faith, in Jesus Christ. Now, for the ladies, you're a daughter of God. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, that is, his death is identified, your death is identified with his death, and his resurrection, you're identified with that as well. So he's clothed ourselves with Christ living in us. There's There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are, what does it say? Abraham's seed. Heirs 
according to the promise. It's important to recognize these are all Old Testament concepts. Is the blood of Jesus Christ that powerful? Has it truly transformed not only my identity, it's transformed my destiny? Has the promises, the covenant promises of God become precious to us to allow the work of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God to speak into our hearts and our minds that you and I are set apart and recognized as the people of God. Notice in chapter 4, verse 4, it goes on to say in Galatians, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might become, well, we might receive the full rights of sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father, so that you are, notice here, no longer, what? A slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. The blood of Jesus Christ has opened wide the blessings of God. And whatever those blessings may seemingly be, it's not only because of this grace, but it's certainly because Jesus paid that price. It's not simply that God became compassionate. It's not simply because he came uh, loving and kind and generous. Someone paid for your blessings and mine, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, now we want to take a, a few other scriptures to enable us to have great assurance. I, I can remember as, as a, a new Christian trying to understand how does Jesus just give you a silver platter and there's this lack of connection taking place in my mind and particularly in my heart because I, I wasn't sure if I could simply accept a gift purely and entirely as a gift. But when I began to understand the price Jesus paid, the cost that Jesus had to suffer, then the light clicked on. Then the connection took place. He could give it because he owns it. He could offer forgiveness because he's my judge. He could grant me a plea bargain today because on court date that's coming up, it's already been settled. It's important to know the, the beauty and the richness and the fullness of the blood of Jesus Christ. He pays greatly, severely. Why? So that he can take that and give it to each and every one of us. It's not a cheap concept. It's not simply, well, whatever, I'll just pour it out. He paid a price. And what does he ask of us? Give your heart to him. Put faith in what Jesus Christ has done and follow him. As we look at these, we need to recognize what, what really magnifies the power of that blood is found in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. A couple scriptures I want to simply mention and then 
Uh, some will look into some he Hebrews. But it's important to understand for those of us that, that we, we not only want to love God with our feelings, but we want to love God with our head. We want to understand what does the Bible truly say about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We not only want to be compelled by the compassion and the tenderness of Christ, but we want to be driven by the fact that he fully, completely followed that law so you and I can go free. These concepts are important. They, they, they escalate the capacity of your faith, and they bring us to a credible decision to give our lives to Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The blood has no power if he's not God in human flesh. The blood has no real significance any more than if I give my life for you, I shed my blood to save you from some situation or circumstance, you might cherish the fact that I gave my life, but my blood doesn't have power to take you into eternity. That blood comes because Jesus, in the body of Jesus Christ, is the fullness of the Godhead. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, we read a little bit further here in the scriptures towards the back. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says about Jesus, the Son of God. Verse Three, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's important to know that the power of the blood is in his person. Who he is makes all the difference in the world. And that is why our faith is one that fixes our eyes on Jesus, that author, perfecter of our faith. As you and I come into worship situations week after week, we're constantly lifting up one name, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. And by our faith and confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and his true and great identity, there's where the power of the blood begins to do its great work in our lives in a personal way. As we think in terms of this, we recognize this gives it. Now let's, while we're in Hebrews, look at uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 8 and 9. The power of the blood, not only is because God has uh, 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 come in flesh, and he has come to this world to save humanity, and we recognize that his identity is extremely important in the effectiveness of the offering of his blood, but also in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it teaches another very important concept for the power of blood to change your life and mine. Although it's in verse 8, he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. One of the greatest mysteries of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is we have heard he died on the cross for our sins, but we may not be so familiar that his perfection that he lived and his righteousness 
is credited to my account and yours, and my sin is put on his shoulders. That substitutionary sacrifice is so important to understand. So when his righteous blood is poured out for you and I, that righteousness is credited to my account. So on judgment day, it makes sense. There's no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, and that is the essence of why we are free and why there is forgiveness offered. It's because he paid the price in my place. He served the time in my place. He has fulfilled the requirements of holiness in my place. He lived a life of perfection without complete and entire obedience. He could not be the mediator between sinful men and a holy God. So his obedience is extremely important in understanding that. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. Again, the power of the blood is not only in his person itself, but the power of the blood is his performance is credited uh, to, to my account. So that when we, you and I, stand before the throne of heaven, that the perfection that you and I need is given to us because of Jesus Christ. The requirements of the law are still a necessity to be applied to our own account. But it's because of Jesus Christ, the substitution, he died for each and every one of our sins, and so we, it, we receive that righteousness, and he takes upon himself that sin. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 through 28. Now, there have been many of those priests since death, uh, priests, since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely or to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The resurrection is what brings Jesus back to life. The resurrection is that his physical body was crucified, buried on the third day. He rose again. And so in the resurrection and in between, he presents his own blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And so he lives forever. If you and I believe in eternal life, we better believe in a Savior he isn't dying again. He has risen from the dead, and he lives forevermore. But what is he doing? Verse 25. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to what? Intercede for them. Some people, when they pray, they get what they want. There's some people faithful in prayer. They're not letting go. I don't know about you, but I get the feeling when Jesus intercedes on our behalf, we're going to be just fine. It's important to know that the power of the blood is guaranteed. It's sealed. It's assured. When you and I are in that relationship with Jesus Christ, when we humbly come to the place of submitting and surrendering ourselves, that blood has covered it all. 
There was a time we were without. No promises, no help, no blessings, no uh, assurance. But then there's a time because of the blood of Jesus Christ that faith has entered our heart and we have been given everything. I wish we had time for more, but I really want to make sure we get to consider how does this blood get applied to your heart and mine? It's so important to recognize that even though our minds may be well informed with, with the balance and the beauty of God's word, we may understand what Jesus Christ did for us, but when faith speaks to our hearts, there's something very important that you and I must respond to. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Just from Hebrews, go toward the back a little bit. 1 Peter, after James. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. For you know. Well, how do we know? For you know, the good news has been broadcast. The Spirit of God is doing quite well. God has spoken in your heart. He's spoken in mine. Grace has been applied out in this world. We know. I've had many people challenge me. How do you know the Word of God is true? I said, let me get it right. I remember a time when I clearly can honestly tell you, the Word of God was never the problem. It was me. And quite often people say, yeah, we know. What's important to recognize is when the faith has been proclaimed, God allows truth to confirm and validate itself. So the knowing is not the issue. We know in verse 18 that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Verse 21, through him, through faith in him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. The first most important thing in applying the blood is to take what we know and put it where it ought to be. It's to receive that truth into our minds and in our hearts. It's to allow ourselves to realize you and I are not getting to heaven by smooth talking our way through those pearly gates. You and I are not getting to heaven because we've performed a few good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds. You and I are not getting to heaven because we somehow tell ourselves my faith is personal and what I believe is what I believe. I can create it to be whatever I want. You and I know that God has made it clear what is required of each and every one of us. And so ultimately the question is, can we believe that it's only because of what Jesus Christ has done and by believing that blood is applied to your heart and mine? that our faith in what God has revealed about his son and what he has revealed to us about truth is extremely important that we believe it because we already know it's true. Have we come to a place 
And we choose to say, okay, God, I believe. A second thing that we look at is in 1 John, the next uh, book over, well, 2 Peter and then 1 John, is the blood of Jesus Christ has an enormous potential set for those who believe. The power of the blood is beginning to, to soften the soil of our hearts. It's beginning to, to make us tender and able to receive. He's beginning to do a, a dynamic within us because that truth is at work in our lives. But 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, John the Apostle says it this way, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's not difficult for us to grasp when your heart begins to move in the right place, your feet need to take the right steps. That fellowship is part of the cleansing process, that walking in the light of truth. We allow the word of God to dictate how we think and how we walk and how we talk and which way we go, I trust that we've come to a place in our journey in understanding the full blessings of Jesus Christ, that the power of the blood is when you and I step on the path that leads to life. When you and I come to the place of tenderness and receptivity to the will of God, we step and we walk. The cleansing that comes when you and I humbly say, Jesus, you win, you got my heart. I've been a fool to take my own uh, uh, plans and purposes of life and simply do it my way. And I'm well aware that my heart is not clean, but today I'm coming. Today I want the blood to not only be applied because my faith has come to a resting place and I come to a place where my will is committed to him I choose to follow him and walk in this path. One more thought I want to mention is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Let's go backwards. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8, and we'll read through 10. Now, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us, but the promise Oh, the promise in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10 goes on to say, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. It's one of those you know that you know that you know. It's not difficult for us to grasp that we've missed the mark, that we've fallen short of the will and purpose of God, it's relatively easy to understand that most of us have not reached perfection. We'd be a fool to stand before the truth of God and say, well, I haven't sinned, because everybody knows that we know that we know that's what the gospel has done. The grace of God has softened us to a place where we realize, okay, I confess. Confession is a huge component for the the application of the blood of Jesus Christ, it seems as if he says it this way. You go to a restaurant, you and your friends, and your friend says, I got the tab today. I'll pay the bill. I'll pay it. And so he pays uh, 
for the meal and you walk out and you say, I didn't play for my meal. I got to go back in. Your friend says, why do you got to go back in? He says, I didn't pay for the meal. He says, but I did. It's important to know confession is to lay it out in full-blown colors. It's to tell it like it is. And so there's a, a, a parallel between if you claim that you don't have sin, but if you claim you do have sin, you're forgiven. Confession is a claim. It's acknowledging. It's calling it like it is. It's saying that this is exactly what it is. The blood of Jesus Christ promises to cleanse and forgive when we confess. There is another confession I simply mentioned before we close in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with your mouth that you confess and it's with your heart that you believe. The claim is Jesus is Lord. It's so important to recognize that God has invited each and every one of us to come to a place where that blood is applied to this heart because without Christ, we're foreigners. And if you've ever been overseas and you know what it's like to be a foreigner, you really want to get home soon to American soil. It's important to recognize that when you're an outsider, you're an outsider, but when it comes to faith, through Jesus Christ, he's given it all. And so the challenge we have this morning is, have we come to a place that blood is on this heart? Because when that blood is applied to our lives, we are no longer foreigners and no longer aliens, but we are fellow citizens and we are members of the household of God. We are sons and daughters of the Almighty and we are the chosen ones of Israel. Father, we humbly come before you realizing that the blood, as precious as it is, what gives its power is it has spoken truth into my life. And I pray for each and every one of us even here today that faith would be so much more than an idea in our minds, but it'd be a reality in our hearts. And I pray for each and every one here today as our eyes are closed and our, our, our hearts are open to you. I just pray that if there's any here today that if you uh, know that you're not in a right place, I want to encourage you and pray for you. And I'll simply, if you look up to me, wave your hand or something, I'd be glad to pray for you and just trust that the blood of Jesus Christ is as good as he promises. Any here today? Okay. Father, we thank you that our faith is so precious and simple. But let us not lose sight of the fact that your blood is powerful and that our sins are forgiven, our shame has been lifted, our destiny is sealed, and we are your people. And I trust that that precious grace would challenge us and compel us to live a life pleasing for you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.